Okay, that was uh, Jill Balti Taylor um, <clears throat> in a TED talk called uh, My Stroke of Insight. There's a, she has a book by the same name uh, that I highly recommend. Uh, quite an interesting, you know, tale. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the reason I bring this up in particular is because I think it sums up everything <clears throat> that we've talked about this whole quarter. Um, if you heard some of the things that she was talking about during her probably one of the best TED Talks I've ever seen. Um, she talks about life force, right? Here's a neuroanatomist PhD talking about life force, right? Here's a neuroanatomist PhD talking about being disconnected, right? This is the same language. So a lot of times students will say, or new grads will say, well, you know, we're just, we don't talk the same language as the, most people and medical doctors and the you know, neurosurgeons, they're talking different. No, they're not. No, they're not. And we're all talking the same language, right? And, and here's the, the deal. The deal is that she is a PhD talking to you guys and our patients are being, should be being talked to in the same way, the same excited way. So as an example, uh, we're seeing a new patient now a young boy who has a bunch of different issues and the mom brings the boy in last night and um, he's a, just a very challenged child. Very good with adults, not very good with kids. And the, the big issue that I see with this boy is not the diagnosis that probably would be given to him by a typical pediatrician or a typical psychiatrist. The big problem is Disconnection, just like she said. You see, because even though disconnection certainly can happen with something as god-awful as a stroke, disconnection can also happen with anybody at any time, including children. So you have a child, as an example, you have a child who, when you ask a simple question, he doesn't answer the question you ask him. He tells you something else. It's not because he's being mean or unruly. It's because he doesn't get it because he's disconnected. If you have a child who's behaving in certain ways that probably aren't the most ideal ways, it's not necessarily because the child is some tyrannical, evil kid who's got a mean streak in him that I hear from parents all the time. He's just got a mean streak. That's not what it is. What it is is he just he doesn't get his own body. What does she say? Poor body awareness, right? She is talking the same language that we're talking. The only difference is that most of chiropractic wants to talk some bone, hard bone on a soft nerve kind of language, and most chiropractors want to give drugs for this kind of stuff instead of saying, this is the language that we need to adopt. This is the language that D.D. Palmer used, right? It's not like we're making up something new. You know, we're not creating something out of nothing. We're not creating some new vogue chiropractic thing, some neo-chiropractic thing. We're, we're going back to our roots of D.D. Palmer and B.J. Palmer, who talked about tone, right? The nerve tone of the body. And when you have a child who has got ADHD, or he's got autism, or she's got dyslexia, or learning disorders, or sensory processing disorders, or whatever name, thing you want to give it, what it really is, is some version of disconnection. And 
We as chiropractors must understand that we have to teach our patients chiropractic. Because if we say to them, well, let's adjust the kid a couple of times to see how he does. Are you good? How long did it say it took her to get herself back? Eight years. How long do you think it's going to take to reverse or change significantly a child that comes in with a diagnosis like ADHD or autism? Do you think it's going to take a few weeks? Now, once in a while, and you will read about these kind of things, once in a while, some amazing story will happen where some, a few adjustments or even an adjustment can cause miraculous changes instantaneously, which is absolutely lovely, but that is not typical. What's more than typical is it takes a whole long time to shift that boat. You know, I always talk about, about the way chiropractic works on someone is not like turning a car, right? Turning a car is pretty easy, right? If I want to go from here, if I want to turn a corner, I go like this, I can turn a corner. But if you're on the Queen Mary, right? You've heard me say this before. You're on the Queen Mary, and you want to shit. You want to go from like going this direction north to going south. It takes you like a few days to turn that boat all the way around, so it's going in the other direction. And we have to tell our patients that, right? Because people today are very impatient. Do you think that she would have had been the success that she is now? If she gave up after like a couple weeks, of, oh, forget this. This is not going to work. She had to work at this for years and years and years. I've had other patients who've brought in kids with cerebral palsy <clears throat> who have had the most awful births. And these parents have worked on these kids hours every day for years on end to get these kids to the other side. You know, and even if you just talk about perfecting yourself, even if you're just talking about that, if you read some of Malcolm Gladwell's books, like Outliers, the reason that the Beatles were so amazing, if you ever read the book, the reason that the Beatles are so amazing is because how many hours did they practice in that one year time in 1961 to 62 when they were in Hamburg, Germany most of the time? How many hours did they play? Because they weren't all together, like it was just John and Paul for the most part. But then they brought like you know Ringo and George together. And now, so they had one year. How many hours did they play to totally perfect themselves? 10,000. In one year's time, they played so many concerts, like more, you know, at, at, uh, at matinee times and evening times. They played so many hours. It was 10,000 hours in a little over a year's time. And that's why they got so good so quickly because they put 10,000 hours into it. So what does that mean for you guys? How many hours have you really put into chiropractic so far? Really, and I don't mean sitting on your rear ends actually listening. I mean doing chiropractic, right? How many hours? Think about however long you've been in clinic and student clinic and adjusting wherever you should or shouldn't be <laughs> adjusting, right? How many hours? Probably not a whole lot, you know? Maybe, I don't know, I, and I'm just throwing a guess at it, maybe 1,000 hours, let's say it's 1,000 hours, that you've had physical contact with patients in your entire time, palpating, adjusting, you know, that kind of stuff, in all the different venues that you've had a chance to. Maybe it's 1,000 hours. So what does that mean? You want to graduate, and you say, well, how come I can't do this right away like this? 
You know, I have interns say, how come I can't adjust like you? Because I have probably 500,000 hours of more than you do, right? And it's not because I'm older, <laughs> you know, it's because I've just been doing it longer. So, but you will have the same experience, but it's gonna take some time. But here's the deal is you gotta practice this. This isn't something you just do when you have your hands on someone. Right? This is something you should be practicing over and over again. Do you, do you know what that thrust is going to feel like? Right? When, you're, when you're doing some sort of a thrust like this, or you're doing a thrust like this, or you're doing a thrust like this, do you know what that thrust should feel like on every different person? Because that's, that's the hardest thing of all a chiropractic to get, is the thrust. It's easy to get the setup. Right? You guys can make some gorgeous looking setup. Right? Mm -hmm. But it's that thrust. What's that? That's where everybody gets messed up. But if you don't practice the thrust, and I don't mean on a person or a dog or something. I mean, if you don't practice even just the thrust like this, like, how are you getting good? How are you getting good at that thrust? Are you going to wait until you're on a person before you do it? You shouldn't. You should be thrusting. When, when I was in school, they said, you want to get really good, you should do 100 thrusts a day like this, 100 thrusts a day like this, 100 thrusts a day like this, 100 thrusts a day like this. And just thrust, 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 thrust. Thrust on pillows and thrust on you know, chiropractic benches and thrust on speeders and thrust on everything. Because that is going to be the key to your adjustment. And how are you going to build those 10,000 hours? You're going to build it in part by thrusting on nothing, by thrusting on pillows and benches and speeders. <coughs> because when you graduate, you want to be a master. As good as you possibly can be. So <clears throat> when you are thinking about Something like what she was talking about. When you're thinking about someone who was able to see the two different sides of, of her brain at the same time, right? And we need to now try to communicate this fact to our patients that this is the key. How, how will your communication become, right? The way you're going to get really good at communicating is how? You're going to practice it. And just like practicing your adjusting, should you wait to practice your communication until you're actually with the patient. No, you should be writing out your scripts. What do you want to say during a new patient exam? What do you want to say during your port of findings? What, should, what things should you be saying during table talk? So that you are ready, right? Because this is completely up to you. Because I know when a patient comes into my office, what the way I want to speak is what Dr. Sid used to call speaking with authority. And speaking with authority doesn't mean it didn't happen just because I've been doing this for a long time. Speaking with authority happened because I practiced. I practiced adjusting, I practiced speaking, so that by the time it came to that person asking me a question, I was able to spit it out and it didn't stumble or fumble. And that's what people want. When people are coming to a doctor, what they want is their confidence. They want you to instill confidence. They want you to instill that maybe it's possible that my kid can get better. Maybe it's possible that I can get better. You want to instill confidence in these people. And that takes a lot of extra work. And I know you're saying, why well, I do so much work already, and I have all this other studying. And I'm telling you, most of the studying just to get through boards is not the studying you need to be doing. You have to do that. I get that. So I'm not saying don't. What I'm saying is, think about the studying you need to be doing. Think about the things you need to be doing. Think about the, the swords that you need to be sharpening. That's what I want you to start thinking about, is what do you really need to be working on? So that when that mom comes in to see you, when you graduated like 
a week or so before, and now you're in your associate practice or the practice you're buying, whatever, and that mom says to you, what's going on with my kid? I don't understand. You'll be able to spit that out, and when you're touching that kid, you'll be able to touch the kid with authority, and that child will be okay with what you're doing. Right, so I want you to think about that. And think about how Jill Bolte-Taylor, a neuroanonymous PhD, uses the same language we do. But remember, it took her years and years of study to become an anonymous, and then another eight years to get herself back so she could do this. Right? So give yourself time, but take the time now. Right? Invest this time. However long it has before you graduate, invest this time so that you are able to use this time wisely so when you graduate, you'll be as the best that you can be. Mm-mm. <clears throat>